The 88th running of the Boston Marathon took place on April 19, 1967. It was a cold and overcast day with snow squalls greeting the participants and spectators. The field of runners approached the start line eager to tackle the 26.2 miles from Hopkinton to Boston. There were 741 runners that day, 740 men and one woman, donning bib number 261. Welcome to episode 150 of This Shit Works, a podcast dedicated to all things networking, relationship building, and business development. I'm your host, Julie Brown, speaker, author, and networking coach. And in today's episode, I am discussing how one woman changed the sport of running. Welcome to This Shit Works, your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success with your host, Julie Brown. Here we go. In 1967, women were not allowed to run marathons. There were lots of reasons for banning women from running such great distances, not the least of which is that it was thought that women's bodies were not capable of such physiological stress. That indeed, the act of running would cause a woman's uterus to fall out, rendering her infertile. No, I'm not making that up. We have a long and storied history of men who have no fucking clue how a woman's body works, governing their agency and determining what they are and are not capable of. But that's another story. Back to this one. Catherine Switzer, a 20-year-old journalism student at Syracuse at the time, had a passion for running. But there wasn't a woman's cross-country team at Syracuse, so she was invited to run with the men. While running with them, she caught the eye of Coach Arnie Briggs, who, during their runs, would tell her stories of his experiences running the famous Boston Marathon. One day, Catherine told Arnie that she wanted to run the Boston Marathon. His response was, women are too weak and fragile to run 26.2 miles, and that, quote, no dame never ran no marathon. Which is completely not true because Roberta Gibb was actually the first woman who ever unofficially ran the Boston Marathon when she ran it as a bandit from start to finish in April 1966. Catherine called him out on his statement, saying that she wouldn't train with him anymore unless he believed that women could do the distance. His response was that he did believe that she had it in her and that if she proved it to him in practice he'd be the first person to take her to Boston. As I mentioned, women were not technically allowed to run marathons in 1967. Therefore, the application to run the Boston Marathon did not contain a checkbox for gender. It simply wasn't needed. So Catherine Switzer filled out the application with the name K.V. Switzer, and she was assigned bib number 261. As I mentioned, it was a cold, gray, flurry-filled morning, so Catherine, clad in gray sweatpants and sweatshirt, pulled her hoodie over her head as the race officials went by and checked the runners' numbers against the logbook. Her race was uneventful for two miles, until the press bus carrying reporters and race director Jock Semple passed her. It was then that Frank Lindsay of the New York Times spotted her and yelled to Jock Semple, there's a woman in your race. 
Jock, infuriated, yelled, Stop the bus! Stop the bus! and jumped off and ran toward Catherine, screaming at her, Get the hell out of my race and give me those numbers, as he lunged for her bib. As he lunged at her, Jock knocked over Arnie Briggs, her running coach who was trying to protect her. It was at this point that Thomas Miller, Catherine's then-boyfriend, laid a shoulder into Jock Semple, tossing him off the race course and onto the side of the road. Arnie looked at Catherine and said, run like hell. Catherine said, I realized that if I quit this race, which I felt for a split second like doing, because I was so scared and embarrassed, if I quit that race, nobody would have believed women deserved to be there or that they could do the distance. And turned to Arnie and said, Arnie, I'm going to finish this race on my hands and my knees if I have to. Switzer went on to finish the race in four hours and 20 minutes. She ran when they told her it was impossible. She ran for equality, she ran for me, and she ran for you, even if you'll never run a marathon. And she ran for countless generations of women. That one moment, that one altercation between Jock and Catherine two miles into the 26.2-mile distance was captured by the press bus photographers and is one of the most galvanizing photographs in the women's rights movement. Today, women make up almost half of the registered runners in the Boston Marathon. I, myself, have had the honor of running the Boston Marathon three times. And it is not lost on me that I might never have had the chance if it weren't for Catherine Switzer, together with her coach and ally Arnie Briggs and her boyfriend and ally Thomas Miller. Sometimes I look at the gender inequality in this nation and I struggle to be optimistic, but then I am reminded of stories like this and I know that change can happen when we believe in ourselves, when we have allies, when we foster strong relationships and networks, and when we know that what we are doing will have ripple effects through generations. Because remember, no dame never ran no marathon until she did. Okay, on to the drink of the week, which I just absolutely love. If you know anything about Boston Marathon lore, you are probably familiar with another famous woman who kind of ran it, Rosie Ruiz, who on April 21st, 1980, won the Boston Marathon, and she didn't even break a sweat. Her face was hardly even flushed. Catherine Switzer was covering the race that day as a television commentator and grew suspicious when she interviewed Rosie and asked her what her intervals during the marathon had been. And Ruiz replied, what's an interval? (laughs) When witnesses came forward a few days later to say that they'd seen her run onto the course from the sidelines just a mile from the finish line, her medal was revoked and she admitted that she had indeed (laughs) taken the tee to the finish line. So... The drink of the week is Rosie's Return. Here's what you're going to need. Two ounces raspberries plus other, you know, kind of a few raspberries for garnish. Three-fourths ounces of gin, a half ounce of simple syrup, a half ounce of lemon juice, two dashes of orange bitters, and two drops of rose-flavored water, and four ounces of sparkling rosé. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to add the two ounces of raspberries to a cocktail shaker and muddle gently. Add the gin, lemon juice, simple syrup, bitters, and ice to the shaker and shake, 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 shake until chilled. And then strain into a chilled flute glass and then top with sparkling rosé and garnish with a few extra raspberries. All right, friends. 
That's all for this week. If you like what you heard today, please leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. Also remember to share the podcast to help it reach a larger audience. If you want more of me, Julie Brown, you can find my book, This Shit Works, on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. You can find me on LinkedIn at Julie Brown BD. Just let me know where you found me when you reach out. I am Julie Brown underscore BD on Instagram, or you can pop on over to my website, juliebrownbd.com, and scroll all the way to the bottom and put in your information to get on my email list, which is super fucking funny. Okay, until next week. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a tip. And remember, you can unapologetically be who you authentically are and still be wildly successful. That's a fact. See you next week on This Shit Works.